Good morning. Thank you, choir. Brings back good memories when I began this journey of trying to preach well and the context I was in, there was typically a, a, a choir would sing before the sermon. And typically you'd get up feeling like there's no way you can do anything any good in the next few minutes because that was so powerful. And I've, I appreciate so much that we have a culture here that allows for our worship to be led by our choir because it is a tremendous blessing, tremendous blessing. We're going to be in Genesis 23 today and, and elsewhere, but we'll begin in Genesis 23. This is a sermon that I have not, to be honest, looked forward to preaching. Um, it is humbling to stand before you and try to speak on grief when, quite honestly, I've experienced so little of it in my life. And I'm grateful for that, but um, it makes me feel sometimes as a pastor like I wonder how I can speak into your lives when so many of you go through so much, have gone through so much, are going through so much, will go through so much. But I think over the next few minutes, I'll at least have a chance because they gave me a microphone to explain how we might do that for one another. And this text in the 23rd chapter of Genesis is is how we'll start this conversation. We find Abraham and and Sarah uh, at the end of Sarah's life. If you'll look with me at verse 1, the text says, Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were all the years of her life. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham got up from beside his dead wife and and spoke to the Hethites. Hethites, I am an alien residing among you. Give me burial property among you so that I can bury my dead. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So Abraham is mourning and weeping the death of Sarah, whom he has loved for so long, whom he has been through so much with. Many of you know the stories, but our our story really begins with Abraham and and God's call on Abraham's life to, to not only be a blessing, for all of the nations in the world, so that all of the nations in the world could come to know the Lord our God, whom we have sung of so beautifully. Thank you, Oksana. But also, the call on Abraham's life, Abram at the time, to to leave his home with his wife, to, to go on an incredible journey in which God would, through Abram, come Abraham, Establish the very promises that we live in and under and that surround us today. This is the beginning of our story. A story that for us 
as we know, and if we're honest, includes pain in our lives. It, it includes hardship. It includes that which we must overcome because life is hard while God is still good. One of my favorite songs that speaks of this is by one of my favorite artists, Andrew Peterson. The song is actually almost 20 years old, and it's, it's called The Silence of God. Verse 1 says, it's, a, it's enough to drive a man or a woman crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod. And the heaven's only answer is the silence of God. And it'll shake a man's timbers when he loses his heart and when he has to remember what broke him apart. This yoke, it may be easy, but this burden is not. When the crying fields are frozen by the silence of God. Maybe today you were experiencing the silence of God. Maybe you have. Any of us could be at any moment. What I mean by the silence of God is what Andrew is singing about here. It's, it's the, the waiting that we've sung about. It's, it's when there is trouble in our lives that we must endure not having that answer or that relief right away. And for us who, who follow God, who believe in Jesus as God's son, who believe that God is with us and will never forsake us, we still experience hardship. And so we're left with, with each other to consider this and to help one another along. So I want to give you, for anybody who may be grieving this morning or have grieved, I want to give us just three simple encouragements that I believe are true for all of us about the times that we suffer. First, God will walk with you. God will walk with you. I'm reminded of God in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, where it says that Adam and Eve were walking and they were hearing the voice of the Lord whom was walking along with them. Very cool. I'm reminded of Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 as I think about Oksana and her story and what was shared with us a couple of weeks ago. But how the text says, I'll never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? But we do live in a world with hardship. As we've said, we live in a world with cancer. We live in a world with other disease and and we live in a world with so much brokenness, and, and we are vulnerable to it. We will all die, and some of us much sooner than what seems fair. But, but even then, it is never, ever easy. It's never easy to lose a loved one, to spend time apart, or to, to walk with a loved one through addiction, to, to have friends or family suffer divorce. To, to be in someone's life who, who goes through losing a job. Grief is a common human experience. When, when Michelangelo carved Pieta, and I didn't know this till I read this this week, 
he car- I don't know that I've ever seen this, but he carved Mary, actually, Mother Mary, two-thirds larger than she should have been, like an actual size. And why did he do that? Well, he did that because he wished to envision her holding her executed son as a queen ripped of her soul as she contemplated the cruelty of earth. But as Calvin Miller, the great homiletics professor from Samford, Beeson's Divinity School at Samford University, as he argues, grief, it doesn't do what Michelangelo suggests in this work of art. Grief does not enlarge us. Grief shrinks our souls. Mary was diminished by her agony. Mary grieved. I believe Abraham in our text was diminished by his agony. We get that feeling in our stomach when we suffer grief and we, and we bend over. We quite literally diminish some. It, it puts us in a certain position that makes us smaller. And I believe as Abraham, Abraham said, I, I'm mourning and I'm weeping my wife's death. This would have been the case here. Just like Mary should have been represented in Pieta. He felt small. Grief is not a singular emotion either. It's sadness for sure. But it can also bring with it guilt, shame, anger, anxiety. Perhaps you feel guilty by the the loss of a relationship. You're perhaps angry at a spouse for going through divorce or, 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 or that which leads up to divorce. Perhaps you're anxious or even angry about deteriorating health. My dad was diagnosed with melanoma in 2015. We were very afraid. He's one of my heroes and a man who I have, whom I have watched walk so closely with God for so many years. Not perfectly, but so closely. And I could sense that he was afraid. You know, melanoma, if it gets into your lymph nodes, is, is really hard to stop from spreading. So when dad's surgery and biopsy revealed that it had not spread to his lymph nodes, we were, we were so grateful to have more years with dad. But dad, dad didn't contract cancer because God was punishing him. And, and, and dad's cancer didn't spread because God was rewarding him. As a hospital chaplain, Barbara Brown Taylor, who I actually think is one of the best preachers we have today alive. She's a preaching professor and a preacher. Says she calls the what was she dreaded most as a hospital chaplain were the calls from the pediatric ward when a child was sick, terminally ill. And she recalls a story of a call that came in one day where it was a family that their five-year-old daughter had, within just a matter of a few days, had gone from fine to terrible headache, causing her eye to shut, finding out a tumor was pressing in on her optic nerve, causing surgery ASAP. And Barbara Bound Taylor found the girl's mother in the waiting room, and her mother was beside an ashtray that could not have been more full of cigarette butts with a, a smell on her that seemed like she had smoked every one of them. And the mother looked at 
Barbara Brown Taylor and said, this is my punishment, you know. By smoking these blasted cigarettes, God could not get my attention any other way. So he made my baby sick. And she started sobbing uncontrollably. And now I'm supposed to stop, she said, but I can't stop. And I am going to kill my own child. Now, Barbara Brown Taylor in that moment did what I hope I would do. She chose, now, because what we've been taught in, in seminary and in school is that we, we, we sit with, we don't offer an answer immediately. We don't just talk as preachers are prone to do as much as they can in those moments when someone is, is so obviously hurting. But we listen. But in this moment, Taylor found it, she felt it very appropriate to push back against what she believed and what I agree is, is some pretty bad theology in this mother's mind. And an interesting thing happened. At the moment, the mother actually preferred God to be a God who punishes rather than a God who seems silent or even absent. And I think we can relate to this mother if we're honest. Something tragic happens to us and, and we seek to quickly make sense of it. We, we seek to find the cause because if we can find the cause, perhaps we can stop it or at least understand it. And in this story, Barbara Brown Taylor teaches us that what we're too often more interested in are our consequences rather than truth. And I want us to be a church family that seeks truth. To, to, to rest our faith in that which is true. And so I need you to at least try to believe with me, regardless of what your circumstances are. And I'm trying to say this as humbly as I can because I'm not going through what you're going through right now, I don't think. But God is with us. And if we fail to remember that, I think we're in trouble. And the truth is that God is with us. Not that God will cause us to avoid the valleys in life, but that God walks through those valleys with us and when God seems silent, we must maintain our faith in that God is with us, that God walks with us. Second, it is going to be a journey, whatever you're going through. It's probably not going to be quick. <laughs> I think about Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai at the time. Hearing what God called them to do, and setting out for Canaan in what would be a remarkable journey. I'd love to take some time to tell you all about it right now, but you can just refer to Genesis chapters oh, 12 through 35. It's a great story full of heartache and pain and victory. It is going to be a journey. I remember Leslie Ann, my wife Leslie Ann has worked um, in and around the hospital for years. And I remember her telling a story of a young man named Jorge. You remember this? Jorge was from Hond Honduras. Now you're participating in the sermon. <laughs> Maybe Guatemala. I'm sorry, I don't remember. But Jorge was 15 and 
he was sent to the States to make money for his struggling family. A lot of circumstances there, but he was here. And while he was here working, um, he contracted cancer and ended up at Vanderbilt and ended up with a, uh, he was not going to live. And what Vanderbilt did is they, they, they cared for Jorge and realizing he was not going to live, they, they flew Jorge home to be with his family, who, mind you, had no idea he had cancer until he got home. And not only did they fly him home, but they flew him home with a nurse who stayed with him until he was reunited with his family and helped the family understand how they could care for Jorge until he passed away. That's a good story. We need helpers because it's going to be a journey. And God is calling us in, in, in times of health, in times when we're okay to, to be all about this faith community so that we can build strong muscles amongst us, so that we can be ready when the times come that we need to be each other's helper because they will be many. They will be many, and we must be that for each other. So who, who is God calling you this morning to be in relationship with? I, I'm, I am convinced that God is calling you to, to have gospel conversations, to, to care for the other in our community or outside of our community in a way where they can believe that you care so much for them and you will be there for them in times of need. Who is God calling you to be a helper to today, to reach out to, to allow for you to allow them to reach out to you when you need them. Because gospel conversations become gospel relationships. I love that Fred Rogers' mother told him to look for the helpers. And I would encourage us to do the same. I got to hear a testimony interview by a guy named Al Andrews, who I've heard of occasionally. He's one of the premier helpers in our city. He runs an organization called Porter's Call, which is a uh, a service of therapists that exist for the artist community in Nashville. And every, every artist can go there free of charge. You need to look it up if you're an artist and you need someone to talk to because they exist for you. And Andrew's talked about how that began, how his ministry began in his life. And he said it began when he realized he'd never really asked for help. And his personality type is actually a helper but he understood, realized that he'd never asked for help himself. And so he began to ask for help. You see, what he realized was, is he grew up in a family, and I can relate to this, where it was a good family. It was a loving family. But there was one emotion acceptable in that family, and it was that of happiness. Because as long as everybody was happy, everything was okay. And so there wasn't room, he realized, in his household growing up for all of the emotions. And there has to be. Because we're not happy all the time. That's wrong. And he realized this, and he realized that he had been kind of formatted to not bring up his needs because his needs might make someone else uncomfortable and take away from them being happy. This will eventually erupt for us. If we can put something near the top of the list of what it means to be a church family that really cares for one another and can, can, can battle sorrow and grief as we should together, then we have to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is okay to not be okay. It is absolutely okay for you to not be okay. So if there's anything in you that thinks that it is not okay for you to not be okay, I am praying right now that you will move past that. And I am praying right now that we will be the kind of community that helps one another move 
past that. As a church, we must be able to ask and answer the question, what does love require of us right now in whatever the circumstance it is? Most often it will be just to first and foremost sit with one another, to be present, to be available, to be with one another when we are in pain. The Jews called this sitting Shiva, and they just practiced presence with one another. Our life groups, they they are so important, and they have to be this somehow, that we can be in group, in community with one another, and know that we have people to sit with us in whatever is going on. Al Andrews was asked what theme in this interview, he was asked what theme he sees that that runs through life more than any other theme. He was asked, is there a theme of brokenness that runs through the human soul? And this is a man who has sat in, in, in therapy situations with thousands of people in his 60 plus years. He says the theme that runs most prevalent is a refusal to face sorrow. The flight from sorrow, he says, leads to the loss of hope. We have to live in our pain. It is good for us because it allows for healing. Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. It was good for him. Jesus said it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Al Andrews suggests, and I got to tell you, I believe him, I agree with him, that the opposite is true. If you don't mourn, you won't be comforted. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three through five. I want to read these words from Paul because they comfort me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Lastly, and I don't say this glibly, and I cannot tell you exactly how it will all unfold because it is a journey, but you will survive. Abraham went to great lengths to attain this burial plot. If you read the rest of the, of the chapter, he continued to haggle, which was something that was customary in his culture, back and forth. And, and the owners of the land wanted just to give him land, but in giving him land, they would still have control over it. But Abraham was, was vigilant in wanting to buy the land. And it's really cool because in buying the land, God's promise to us that God would never leave and forsake us from Hebrews thirteen five begins right here in the acquisition of this land. This is where the God's promise for us begins to unfold. So it's an important burial place 
where Sarah was laid to rest. But as it turns out, and I need you to realize with me today, it's not the most important burial place in our story. Although the most important burial place in our story, we can't, as I understand, exactly identify where it is because Jesus is not there anymore. Amen. God's promise to Abraham and by extension, God's promise to us, promises to us were fulfilled in Jesus. And that church family is what we have to remind one another of weekly, daily. That is our primary role as a congregation to us as fellow believers is to remind one another that we will not just survive, but we will thrive. Between Howell and Elliot, Leslie Ann uh, had a miscarriage and it was very hard. Um, And going through that, it was, and I think Leslie Ann would say the same, it was, it was not people who really told us they understood what we were going through or that we would be okay. I don't remember having a lot of people that did that. I just remember a lot of people being able to tell us, yeah, me too. We've been through that too. And that was soothing. We had no idea so many people experienced that, that heartache. And we sensed through their love for us that God was with us and that they would journey with us and that we would be okay. Andrew Peterson's song continues, if if a man has got to listen to the voices of the mob who are reeling in the throes of all the happiness they've got, when they tell you all their troubles have been nailed up to that cross, then What about the times when even followers get lost? Because we all get lost sometimes. I remind you, it's not, it's okay to not be okay. There's a statue of Jesus on a monastery knoll in the hills of Kentucky, all quiet and cold. And Jesus is kneeling in the garden as silent as a stone. And his friends are all sleeping and he's weeping all alone. And the man of all sorrows, he he never forgot what sorrow is carried by the hearts that he bought. So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not. Yes, the aching may remain, but the, the breaking does not. And the holy, lonesome echo of the silence of God. If you are experiencing the silence of God today, I'm so glad you're here because this might mean that you are reaching out in some way or living in biblical community that, that, that you love and that does help sustain you even in tough times. But I want to encourage you about the silence of God. The silence of God denotes that God is with us because God's silent. It does not denote that God is absent. If God is silent, try to find solace in the fact that God is in fact there. And while the aching may remain, the breaking 
does not.